We are in the Gospel of Mark. We are moving rapidly. Mark chapter 10 is our goal, is our endeavor for today. As we have made it a practice through this, Mark moves fast and we are trying to keep up with him. We are going to, by God's grace, get through the entire chapter. There are six sections, if you will, broken down for us, six stories that we will get through in them we will try to highlight seven priorities. I adjusted it. You thought six. Yeah, I mean, one of them's got two, just to make you feel at ease. Our quote here on the back of your bulletin is a very helpful way for us to get started. Michael Card, who is a wonderful preacher, he just happens to do all, all of his preaching through being a singer and a songwriter, being a musician, says it this way. A person does not enter the kingdom with anything. Not with wealth, not with accomplishments, not with degrees. We come into the kingdom with one possession, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that we bring with us. That is the only thing that will get us there. We will read by section. We think, I think today it will be easier for us, so turn with me to Mark chapter 10. The second book, the second gospel in the New Testament. And we leave off and start here with our friends, the Pharisees. It reads this way. And he left there, he being Jesus, went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, Asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries and commits adultery against her, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. We could have an entire discussion on marriage and divorce and all of this, and there's times for that, and it's appropriate. There's other passages of scripture, but that is not our goal for today. We will see what God had behind this teaching, behind all of these teachings, as we look at it, as we talk about priorities being examined. Now, the Pharisees, they were coming after him. This is nothing new. They were coming after Jesus. He is now finishing his ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He is on his way to his Passion Week. He is on his way to lay down his life for the lost, to conquer sin and death finally and fully, forever, for all those who come to faith. So Jesus is on a big mission here. They've had all these years, and he's, he's still alive and well, and he's still moving forward. So they're coming at him as he makes his way there one last time. And they think they have a pretty good one. They said, let's ask him 
about divorce. And the reason they're asking him is because of what they were alluding to in Deuteronomy chapter 24. There was what was written in Moses, what was written in the time. They had had some law written, and the law had allowed for a certificate of divorce. Now, as you can imagine, with any part of Scripture, there is ample amount of debate. There is sometimes a conservative view, and there is sometimes a liberal view or a progressive view. There were many in the camp that were using this to say, if you didn't like the meal, if you found somebody that you liked better, you could for any reason write a certificate of divorce because it was allowed. And there was debate within the church. And what they were doing here was to say, we're going to get Jesus because if he sides with one or the other, he's going to alienate half. If he alienates half, that's good. Half of the Pharisees. If he goes against what God had written, then he goes against God. Even better, we've got him. They were looking to get him. But the main point here was Jesus answered back to them. What commandment did Moses write to you? God wrote to you. And they said he had allowed... You can see, very good wording. He did. He allowed it because of broken people in broken places. It is not a good thing. It is not a healthy thing. But in society, in place, with broken people, with broken humanity, God makes provision even for our brokenness. And he said, you said it well, basically. He, it is allowed. But it is not, and it was not, God's intent. It was not God's intent. And then he proceeds on to say that it is the intention of God that if he put two people together, that they should stay together. So what is our priorities here in this section? This is the one. We got to get it out of the way right away. This is the one with two. Number one, what did the Pharisees come with? Number one, they did come with a knowledge of scripture. They came with a knowledge of the Bible. And for us, that would include both the Old Testament and the New. So priority number one, if we look at this story, I think we can take away that we need to know our Bible. Know our Bible. Number two, this is why I couldn't leave it at this one. You know one of my favorite quotes, many of us are educated far beyond our level of obedience. Number two, follow the Bible. They were using knowledge of Scripture to manipulate, to conform to the life they wanted to live. How many of us at times can either look internally or not have to look too far to our left or right to see the big desire of life, to conform the Bible and our knowledge of our Bible to my life. I am doing this, and I'm going to absolutely study the Bible because I need to be able to prove that what I'm doing is right and is okay, and God has allowed it or allowed for this freedom in my life. There's a wonderful verse in the Bible. God is allowed a lot, but not all things are helpful or expedient. A way to read and to know Scripture is to say, Lord, I want to know it. I want to know what Deuteronomy says. I want to know what was going on in Exodus. I want to know what the Psalms are saying. I want to understand this. I want to get into Philippians. I want to take a look at Mark chapter 10. And Lord, now that I'm learning, in your grace I'm learning, Help me, by your spirit, conform my life to your word. Heaven forbid that we try to conform and manipulate the Bible to our lives. Amen? Priority number one, know the scripture. 
We cannot follow anything we don't know. And knowing people who know the scripture is not good enough unless we're three years old and we say, God, thank you for giving me parents that know the scripture or Sunday school teachers or neighbors or aunts. But we need to know and we need to follow. Everything in our life will pull us away except the spirit of the living God. As we move along, we have a second story. We jump right in to the little children. We only have a few verses on this one, starting in verse 13, our second section. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus, when he saw it, he was ignorant. I can never say that word well. I, I, it's just I don't like that word. It means angry. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, and laying his hands on them. The context for this is the parents... Mothers most likely were bringing their children. When there was a great rabbi around, they wanted to get the children blessed by the rabbi. As children were growing and becoming toddlers, they wanted to get them blessed. Come, lay hands, bless the children. And the disciples, you know, they, they kind of get this. There's, there's serious stuff going on with Jesus. We just walking just a second ago, if you will, in the time space of the gospel here. Pharisees are trying to get Jesus. He just came from another, we're going to get you. We're trying to kill you. We're trying to destroy your character. He gets away from it. He's moving on. And they probably had some sense, because he talked about it, the prophecies of what is coming. He'd already shared some of them. And yet now with Jesus and some serious things going on, right, the, the serious things with Jesus and the disciples, here come these parents with the kids, and they're like, excuse me, excuse me, you know, I got little Sarah here, I got, I got Johnny, I just, excuse me, I need to get in. And the disciples were like, knock that off. Don't you see he's doing important things and he's important, he's got to go. And Jesus, with a word I don't really like to say, can't say it well, was very angry. He was very angry. Why? Why was Jesus so angry? Because the children to him represented a way and a path to heaven. To salvation. So priority number two, priority number three in our second section, childlike hearts. You probably heard me say this before, not childish hearts or childish faith, childlike faith. What was he saying to them? He's saying that you cannot enter into heaven by doing all these amazing things, by saying, Jesus, let me in I'm a full-grown adult doing a lot of good things. Take a look at my resume. Not perfect, but pretty darn good. I believe I should come in. And I've got most of my life handled because I don't want to bother you, Jesus. I'm pretty good. Most Mondays, Tuesdays, Monday morning, maybe I need a little help. But in general, Friday nights, Saturdays, I'm really golden. I've got it. I'm only going to bother you once in a while for the few needs I have. And he says, that thinking will take us straight to hell. Because what we need is a childlike faith that says, I can't get from here to there without somebody carrying me. 
I cannot move forward. I can't develop food. I can't create any of this. On my own, I will die. So I am very, very thankful that somebody is carrying me, that somebody is feeding me. And this person who is doing these things, I will follow them wherever they go in trust and faith. And Jesus is saying to them here, it is that kind of a faith that we need in a believer. Not a faith that says, I'm adding on the areas of the few areas of my life that Christ I haven't got a handle on yet. He's saying I need broken individuals that have a childlike faith. There's a little subpoint here. It's not, not maybe a pure priority, but I think he's also saying, because God has a way of going deeper, even off his main points. He's saying, don't forget the children. I really do believe he was saying that. There are a lot of places where you might say, well, Christianity is for the adults. You know, the, the discussions about God and Jesus and his word and his Bible, you know, there's these serious things, and we shouldn't let the children make it, you know, silliness with it. I think what Jesus is also saying, as a bit of a side point, is don't forget the children. Get the children with us. One of my favorite things is when the children come up here and sing praise and worship with us. Bring them in. Bring them in for the baptisms. Bring them in for the word. Teach them the same Bible, Mark chapter 10, that we're going through. Maybe in a little different way. But the parents, the teachers, the others, Jesus did not forget the children. He took them in his arms. We move along. You've heard this story before. It's mentioned to other places. Matthew even goes over it. The rich, young ruler. Our third story here is of the rich, young ruler. Let's read this section. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, you got to get this, it's kind of cool, loved him. And he said one And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looking around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who, who can be saved? 
Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Again, a whole other story that we could spend an entire time on, on you know, how we deal with wealth and money. But what's going on here? We have a rich, young ruler. When you kind of put that title, right, what's the context for this little section? A rich, young ruler. When I hear that, I hear like, Hollywood, I hear a very, very you know, senior politician who has wealth, who has fame, who has power, and yet what we're looking at here is also someone who had, if you will, character and human virtue. He was very spiritual, he was looking to do the right things, he was very, very mature, he was clearly proactive, because when he, when he went up to Jesus, said, uh, I want to know what I need to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, you need to do this, you honor mother and father, you need to do this, you need this, you need this. And I think he started to get a smile. I was hoping you'd go there because check, check, double check, kind of what I thought. He was coming because from his vantage point, he had accomplished all things that were necessary. But you got to give him some credit. Because he was like, there's this dynamic rabbi walking around doing just a little bit of different teaching. I've kind of got the core. But he's saying some things that are just a little unique, just a little different. And because I actually care about these things, because they actually are important to me, I being a young, mature, proactive individual, and I'm going to go seek him out, and I'm going to ask him directly, what must I do to be saved just in case I am missing something? Now, the framework that this young man is coming from is a framework of God blesses those with wealth who are in his will. One of the kind of tenets of the way his culture would have brought him up was, if you had wealth, God was blessing you, blessing your life, and one of the ways you're able to bless God back was with alms. The more you had, the more you could give. It was a nice circle, and it was a way to show that you are doing what is right. That's why when he said, it is difficult for this rich people to get to heaven, and the disciples said, well, then wait a minute. If the rich can't, which is kind of counterculture, right? We kind of think of it different right now. They got their riches because they stole from somebody. That's a little bit of our culture. They took from somebody, and we're going to take it back with higher taxes. You know, the culture here was, wait a minute, wait a minute. If a rich rabbi or a rich young ruler can't get to heaven, then who can If they can't, then who can? They had a different perspective on it. If you were without, part of it was because you weren't following God's laws. You weren't doing the right things. So Jesus walks him through all of this. 
and he's just double checking. He goes down and he's like, what if God, what is he going to tell me? Maybe he's going to say, well, you need to write a really big check. You know, you've been, you've been generous, but if you're going to kind of take my way, you're going to need to write a big check. It's going to have to have one extra zero. I think that he probably would have been willing to do it. You give me one other thing to do, another penance, another fasting, even a big check, I'll do it. Now, Jesus now here creates a priority. He moves him, and he's checking his real heart. He's checking his heart because the priority here, I'm going to give it to you now as I explain it. Priority number four, having poverty of spirit. So Jesus now is going to go into the priority with this man. And he says to him, okay, you want to go down this road of doing? He has got two ways with him here. First one, he goes, let's go down this road of doing. You say you're a good doer, and as a good doer, you think you can do everything that it takes to get to heaven? None of this is true, but I'm just being hypothetical. Okay, go ahead then. Sell everything that you have and give it all to the poor. That's a bigger check than I was expecting to write. You're literally asking me to sell all my stocks, to sell all my land, to sell all the, uh, all the buildings, sell all my companies, sell everything, physically put it into a checking account, go get a cashier's check. You probably won't want a personal check. Get a cashier's check and physically write it to the church or to write it to this Now remember, Jesus was not trying to create a law of philanthropy or a law of poverty. Jesus was using this to check his heart. Because you want to be a doer? Let's be a doer. All right, go ahead, let's do it. Let's do, let's do it right now, you get to heaven. Write a check for everything that you own. And what's the verse after? And he left sorrowful with his checkbook in his pocket because he had a lot. So Jesus is calling him out, which you like to do to us, right? Jesus is saying, wow, you're a doer. You're an amazing doer. Let's do it. Write a check. And he's like, yeah, I can't do that. So one thing here God is saying, you think you can do what it takes to get to heaven? I can assure you there is no one ever been born on this earth save Jesus himself who can do what it takes to be holy. I just did, he goes, I just spent 2,000 years giving you my law to prove it to you. And you, young man, didn't learn it yet. So I'm going to say it. Go ahead. Sell it all. He couldn't do it. But it was deeper than that. That was just his kind of testimony. What he was really saying to him was this poverty of spirit. What he was really getting at was this poverty of spirit. Please turn with me to Matthew 22. Jesus here in Matthew was taking all the law and he was summarizing it into two. He was taking all the laws that this young man would have known, all those that were trying to follow and honor God's ways, which is a good thing, and he summarized it here. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, this is to Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And 
a second is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If we were looking at this, there is the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew as well, in Matthew chapter 19. And in Matthew's account, he actually brings up the section of basically love your neighbor as yourself. He actually takes it and he puts in Jesus' New Testament law and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the reason is Jesus is calling out to him again. He goes, you are saying that you actually love your neighbor. You do these things. You do help those who who are in need. He's like, if you really loved your neighbor as yourself, it would be equal to you whether you had it or whether you gave it to those in need because you would love them as yourself. That level of love, that level of giving up our selfishness doesn't exist in our human nature. It only exists in God's nature. So Jesus was calling him account that he says, you have fallen, you think you have followed these laws, you think you've accomplished that, you don't really know the depth of these laws. And if you knew the depths of these laws, you would have poverty in your own heart. What he is looking for here, you know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said the Beatitudes, the poor in spirit shall inherit the kingdom of God. A bankrupt heart. Friends, the priority here is for us to live a life and let the Holy Spirit have its way that we come to a place that says my goodness is worthless. Whatever I bring that appears to be good is constrained in my own sin. It is full of selfishness. It is full of pride. It is broken at best, the gift on the altar. When I come, the only thing that Jesus wanted to come, the only thing that he was looking for this rich young man to say is, I am not good enough. I cannot do it. I am a sinner. First John 1 I confess our sin, and he is gracious and just to forgive us. He will forgive a confession of a broken spirit. I am a sinner. I need you. That is the priority that he was trying to get to this young man. And friends, we circle around so much to get knowledge and to go here and to go there and execute. One of the greatest priorities in our life would be, Lord, help me understand and put ever before me the poverty that is my own heart, the bankruptcy that exists in me. And God will smile at that in his child, and he'll take us up in his arms. All right, let's continue on. We're Mark chapter 10. We're going to leave this rich young man, and we're going to go into Jesus telling about his death. Section 4. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed him were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. 
and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So Jesus is now walking, right? He's going to Jerusalem. He's going along. They can sense something's up, and Jesus is now going to teach them again. He's going to prophesy once again to them and say, listen, I am going into Jerusalem. We're going here for the Passover feast. This is what is going to happen. Not I'm afraid that they're going to get me. They will get me. They will spit on me. They will mock me. They will cause me to suffer, and they will finally put me to death. Oh, and I will rise again. So Jesus in this story, the priority to me is fulfilling our mission. Another way to say it is following after God's will. Priority number five is following after God's will. Jesus knew, God had revealed to me, he knew, God the Father, what his mission was. His mission was to die. His mission was to go in and suffer for all sin, for all time, to take on him the punishment that a righteous God needs to have on sin. He knew his mission. He knew what was coming. And he was about his father's business. When they asked him what Jesus was really about, he said, I am about executing my father's will. You know, sometimes we like to think and, and, and accidentally think, you know, I guess maybe is a better way to say it, that we're just, you know, trying to figure out life and what we're supposed to do, and I don't really know who I am, and how, you know, how am I supposed to do it? Am I supposed to be a dentist or am I supposed to be a baker? I don't know. Two completely different things. I don't know. God tells us some of those things are nice and important. He goes, but I can tell you who you are. You are a child of the king. And I can tell you what your purpose is, to glorify my name and to share the love of Jesus Christ with everyone and to enjoy heaven with me as one of my children forever and forever and forever, amen. And you can do that while baking and you can do that while being a dentist. You can do it however I allow for you. But I can tell you what your mission is. Let's not be confused that I've left us in the dark of who I am and what my mission is. And Jesus was on a mission. He, did, he would stop and talk to the kids as they came along. He answered a question to the Pharisees, but he was moving forward. So friends, the priority in this story for us is, are we step by step working the priority that is our life? Are we seeking with everything we have to follow God's will for my life stand? Put your name in there. We are unique. He has a big mission. He's going to do it uniquely and differently through all of us. Are we willing to follow him? Wherever he leads. Some of us say, amen, I'm going to go. But they see that obstacle? I think I might just go this way. Yeah. He told them, what did he tell them about some of these things? He's like, you will, you will get persecuted. So, priority, doing our Father's will for our lives with courage. If I added this thing in my own notes, with courage and fierce determination. The reason I put the word courage in there, courage is there not because there is no fear. Courage is in the face of fear. We need determination because it is very easy to go the other way. 
as things get a little more difficult in our country, and history shows that at some point they will, because the world is opposed to the risen Messiah, we are going to need courage and we're going to need fierce determination to follow our Lord as he would. Read with me on the next section here. He fulfills it now. We get moving forward, the request of James and John. And this is kind of an interesting thing here, so we'll just go through it. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with a baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with a baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be, there's that word again, very angry at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Priority number six is to serve, not be served. It is to serve. But we got to take a look at this thing. You know, we just came through this. Jesus is just telling him about he's going to his death and he's going to get, you know, hammered here in Jerusalem and they're on their way in and they have all this stuff going on. And uh, James and John, uh, excuse me, Jesus, just wanted to have a little chat. Um, Apparently, there's a lot of things going to happen, and there might, uh, even if we take literally what you're saying, which we're not quite ready to do, there's going to be a little void, and there's going to be some, you know, leadership issues. Uh, we kind of think that, you know, the two of us, we're going to good. Well, one left hand, one right hand. If you just say one left, one right, trust me, there's going to be another big fight with who gets the right hand. Because you, if you think I'm, first I want to get left or right. Let's, I just need to get at the top. But once, I need to get to the podium. But once I'm at the podium, I definitely want the gold. You know, and let us duke out who gets right hand, because right hand was, you know, clearly better than the left hand. Uh, this, we gotta, we, we gotta, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. You know, it seems to me, if Jesus right here, he's been angry already, right? He's been angry with the disciples before, with the kids. I think right now, and Jesus was like super angry, you know, super, super angry. Go, are you kidding me? And he's like, oh, guys. He was like gentle with them. Like, I know. You know. What you want is to get glory with the Lord. I, I get it. It's a good thing. You know, you want to honor your father and you want to be there. That's, that's a good thing, you know, in general. But you're struggling. You guys struggle with you know, wanting still. At the end of the day, when we put it all together, we are, where do I fit? What is my honor? What is my place? How high up the ladder can I go? Even in a human secular kingdom or even in God's kingdom, there is a place about me and my pride and where I need to go. And there's some good in it because God put some of that. He allows some of that in us. And so they start asking him, and they start going through these things, and he, he has a little gentleness for him. And he asks me, he goes, are you really, do, you don't even know what you're asking. 
To be there on the left and right, what you're really asking is to live the life that I'm going to live. What you're really asking is to die a martyr's death, is to go and get persecuted and to die in the baptism, not a watery grave, but a physical grave. You don't even know what you're asking. Are you able to do this? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm drinking and get baptized, except for the being pure and righteousness? Well, guess what they said? Yeah, we are. We're going to follow you. And what did he basically say? Actually, you will. Actually, you will. I mean, when I'm reading first time, I'm thinking he's going to say, see, no, you can't do it. So we got a whole no. Actually, you're not going to obtain salvation for others, but as my disciples, as followers of Christ, you will follow me. I am your big brother, and you will follow me in this pain and in this death. And they did. John may be on the Isle of Patmos, different, you know, but in general, they did. He says to them, you will do this. Then he goes over with them. We, and probably because he needed to get them all together. Because the other ten were like, uh, has anybody seen James and John? Um, yeah, they've got a PowerPoint with Jesus. They're giving the whole reasons why, you know, point two, three, why we should be left and right. The other ten are just kind of taggers along. You know, we don't really need them. Yeah, and so they're like, uh, excuse me, so all ten. These ten probably don't get along every day either. But right now, they're, 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 they're good because they just need to take these other two down. And they're a little bit upset. We got rabble in the church, right? We got issues. We got things, you know, people coming at each other a little bit. Uh, excuse me, I did a little more. I, I, I should be there too. And so Jesus pulls them all together. He said, all right, everybody, everybody, everybody settle down. James and John, you over there, you 10, let's go together. Yeah, you have to sit together. Let's all go. Everybody hug each other. Everybody say sorry. I got a teaching for you. It's the great reversal. Do you want to be great? In the kingdom of God. Raise your hand if you want to be great in the kingdom of God. Let's do it in the church. Raise your hand if you want to be great in the kingdom of God. Okay, good. Everyone wants to be great. Here's the answer. Do it the way I've done it. Leave everything. Leave your position of authority. Leave being at the right hand of God. Leave heaven. Leave your palace and come to serve. And to serve actually the people who have betrayed you. To actually serve the people that at times want to kill you. And to hurt you. Make a way for them. The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and be a ransom for many. Paul said it this way, I, my life I spill out like a cup. I'm spilling it out. Everything I have, every energy I have, everything I got, every bit of intellect, everything I got is for the sake of the gospel. He even said it this way, by all means that we may save some. The priority of a life in Jesus Christ can be characterized by a heavy desire to serve as our Master and Lord and Savior has served. He moves us along and he gets now to blind Bartimaeus. As we get into our last section, If you'll forgive me, I want to give you one more thing. I cannot help it. I want to go back. Uh, just, it's just in my mind. I, I'm going to pause just for a second. Go back to verse 29. Read this, because it goes right along with our section with James and John. Jesus said, I'm going to just read a few verses. Verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold 
Now in this time, in this life, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. I think there's an obvious connection of those sections, you know, as it's going through it. And Mark is writing all of this. What Jesus is saying here, there's this, sometimes this vision of religion, which is, I think, true, that says, oh, we got to give and we got to appease the gods and we got to give something. And, oh, they want more. And, oh, they're so bad. They want more. And we got to keep giving more. How much more can I give to appease the gods? And then some people look at Christianity and they look at Jesus and they look at him and say, well, you should tithe and you should do do this and do this and do this and you should give your life and matter of fact you should lay down your entire life he who seeks to gain his life will lose it and who loses his life will gain it you got to give it all you got to give it all up rich young ruler you got to sell it all you got to do it all and it says that, and we got this thing and satan's going yeah god is a taker he just wants your stuff he just wants your life he just wants everything our god is a giver he wants us to give our stuff so he can multiply it by here by a hundred. Our God doesn't need our stuff. Our God wants our stuff and our life to free us from it so that he can then bless it a hundredfold, sometimes in this life, but for sure in the life to come, amen? Our God, to take it this way, is not a taker. Our God is a giver, and therefore he creates disciples of givers. We don't need other people. We are, we are here to give and to serve. But he did say it. I just want to caution us. How did he say this will all happen? You know, like a big merry-go-ride and it's all wonderful? He said, through persecutions. If we are living the life of faith, it will come at some heavy expense at times. This is going to be all good. It's going to be all all good in the end. All right, now let's get to Bartimaeus. All right, verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him, to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And so they did. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me? To do for you. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he covered, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Priority number seven make time for anyone who is willing to call on Christ truly. Make time for anyone who is ready to call on Christ, to repent and to call on Christ truly. Jesus, again, was on a mission now. He was moving forward. This is similar to the children. 
he was going through, he's going through here, and all of a sudden, there's these beggars, right? There's, there's probably multiple beggars here, and there's one who's sitting there, and this is common. They can't really have a profession. You know, they can't do some things. They don't have all the technology that we'd had. A lot of the work they needed to do was with their eyes and their hands, and they needed to be professional beggars, and you know, the courtesy of the people, generosity would allow them. So here comes Jesus, and he starts, he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. He hears. You can't see. He hears. This man's on a place where Jesus hadn't likely been. And something very likely what's happening the first time here. He comes by and he hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth. So the only the Spirit could have revealed all this to him by the teachings and what he heard. He cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David is a messianic title. It is a prophetic title of Jesus as the Messiah. So he says, this Jesus, that'd be just like saying, you know, Joshua, this Joshua of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone tells him, quiet. The rabbi's going through. And he cries out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stops. Remember, Jesus, he's got emotional baggage. On this human side, Let's not forget, this is God, man. Jesus, on his human side, does not want to march into Jerusalem. Jesus does not, looking forward to getting beaten, to getting destroyed physically, getting put down, mocked, taking on the sin of the world he can't even really grasp. We know later on as he prays, it is exhausting emotionally, traumatic for him. He is preparing himself. He's marching because it is following his father's will. And there's a blind beggar at the side of the road calling out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus, with all of this swirling around, he's got the ragtag group of disciples trying to get to his left and right hand and barely keeping them together. And he's marching in and the blind beggar says, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. He says, send this guy to me. So he says, well... Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Think about that question. Let's say we're speaking to the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and he says, Stan, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, please let me have my sight. He says, go away. Your faith has made you whole. What Jesus was saying to him, you know, our ambition, a phrase that I'd read in my study, which really stuck with me, when we're asked a question like that, our ambition, our personal ambitions, would answer with wants. This, thanks for asking. This is what I would like. This is what I would want out of life. Faith answers out of need. And there's really only one need. Let me see. Let me see who you are. Let me see in knowledge. Let me know that you are the risen Savior. And in seeing, let me be with you. So his faith that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God himself and could give him sight, could heal him. So the priority for us is obviously that we need to see our need, right? We already kind of hit that. But the other priority for us is There are people that are saying, I can't see. I'm trying to understand who this Jesus is. I'm not looking to waste time. I really don't understand. I would like to know. 
would you spend some time with me? I'm confused. And some like, well, you know what? I got a meeting. I got to be somewhere. I got to go. Got three kids. Got all kinds of stuff going on. Matter of fact, got to preach a church on Sunday. Get back to you on that. It is take the time for somebody who is truly looking for the son of David. And I will tell us, I will encourage us that they are around. And we need to find them. There are people that, if you will, are beggars sitting there. But it's a priority. We talked about the poverty of the spirit. I want to hit us with this. It's just really powerful where it hit me. When I was studying this out, all I could picture was myself sitting there. Am I crying out as a beggar? Am I crying out as a beggar? Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Save me. Or am I going back and going, done some pretty good things lately. Things are looking up. I'm good. The poverty of the spirit, a brokenness, crying out like a beggar. Everything but the spirit of God, as we bring this home, everything but the spirit of God himself will pull away our priorities. It is my observation that for most of us, and for many people we will come in contact with, will not say something like, absolutely, unequivocally, Jesus is not God. I'll guarantee it. More likely, we are likely to get, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, it makes some mental sense. I see the construct. I see the worldview. I, I, matter of fact, I can even believe that. But with no priority behind it. And Satan knows that. So one of his attacks is not to say Jesus is not true to a lot of people. It is to say he's true. But you've got a lot of other priorities in life. And you don't need to have poverty of spirit. You need to come confidently. And you need to this and you need to that. And you don't have time for that. And selling everything. It is the confusion in the priorities. So let's just list them again. It'll help us recap the priorities are to know the scripture, number one. Number two, to follow scripture. Number three, to have childlike hearts that are dependent on God. Number four, a poverty of spirit to realize our spiritual bankruptcy. Party number five, following our Father's will for our life. Specific, courageous determination to follow his path. Number six, our priority was to serve and not be served. And number seven, always make time for those who are truly seeking after Christ. Sometimes God blesses things from a long, long time ago. There is a wonderful song. There's a fantastic song, an old hymn written in the late 1800s. 1874 or so by Francis Havergale. It's called Take My Life and Let It Be. Just listen a little bit about this. Francis, she was a uh, professional musician, very gifted, very talented, did a lot of secular work, if you will. And this song came out of her life. Here's a little just brief summary. Although hymnist, Francis Havergale, who's 36 years old, had served the Lord for many years, She felt like something was missing in her Christian experience. Then one day in 1873, 
she received a little book called All for Jesus, which stressed the importance of making Christ the king of every corner and every cubicle of one's own life. Soon thereafter, she made a fresh and complete consecration of herself to Christ. When asked about this later, she said, I first saw clearly, I first saw clearly the blessedness of true consecration. I saw it as a flash of an electric light of what you see and you can never unsee. There must be full surrender before there can be full blessedness. Not long afterwards, she found herself spending several days with 10 people in a house, some of them unconverted. Others were Christians, but not fully surrendered to Christ. Lord, give me all in this house, she prayed. She went to work witnessing, and before she left, all ten were yielded Christians. On that last night of her visit, Francis, too excited to sleep, wrote this great consecration hymn, Take My Life. And it just goes like this. Many of you will have heard it. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. At the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my love, my God I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be Ever only all for thee. Ever only all for thee. We conclude with this thought. The grace of God is there to bring broken, sinful people to salvation. And the grace of God is there to sanctify us when our priorities as believers are all askew. It is the grace of God that saves. It is the grace of God that sanctifies us. We need the same grace to come to him, and we need the same grace of God to assist us as our walk falls to the left or to the right. So when we sing, thank God for his amazing grace, we are thanking him that he doesn't kick us out when we get a little left or right. He convicts our hearts, and he empowers us with his spirit to walk alongside him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that it is your absolute amazing grace that can help us consecrate our life for thee. Lord, we are not using empty words here. We are unable to do those things that we want to do. We are unable to bring our lives wholly and fully into subjection to you. So we ask, Lord, if there is someone here who doesn't know you, break a heart, make it a priority to know their Savior. Lord, those that do know you, Help us make it a priority to live a life solely focused, consecrated to you, enjoying your manifold blessings in this life, but doing it in priority and under the lordship of our Savior. Lord, we know that we fall short, and therefore we sing nothing but the praise of your amazing grace. Pour it on us today, as our brother Peter prayed in the beginning. Let us come here, Lord, to be changed, to live a life that honors you and glorifies you. We pray nothing less. We pray it in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.